Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Christian men who want to hear well done from Jesus after running the race marked out for them. This past week, I read that the ideology of some modern educators who are trying to eradicate toxic masculinity by feminizing boys could be summed up, men are basically defective girls. Certainly in a world that has seen the Me Too movement prove the widespread existence of abusive men, Christians need to actively oppose toxic masculinity. This episode asks, thinking biblically, what is and what is not the solution to toxic masculinity? for joining us today for season number one, episode number 47 of Mission Focus Men. My name is Gary Yeagle. Toxic masculinity is a term recently made popular in academic and media circles to describe the male aggression that leads to sexual assault, domestic violence, and bullying. In my view, Christians today should be leading the way in the fight against toxic masculinity for the honor of Christ, because the world needs self-giving manhood, And because so many of the solutions to toxic masculinity being offered in our culture are destructive. Here are four solutions we need to reject and recognize as harmful to our loved ones. The first harmful solution is blaming toxic masculinity on quote-unquote biblical patriarchy. According to Wikipedia, toxic masculinity is caused by, quote, the socialization of boys in patriarchal societies. Feminists blame biblical patriarchy, assigning leadership in the marriage, home, and church to men for toxic masculinity that oppresses women. For example, sociologist Sylvia Walby believes patriarchy is, by definition, quote, a system of social structures and practices in which men dominate, oppress, and exploit women. But is the biblical structure which assigns leadership in the home and church in the Old Testament and New Testament this kind of oppressive patriarchy? Let's dig deeper. The word patriarchy is literally the rule of the father from pater, father, plus arche, ruler. Historians tell us that Roman households were patriarchal. The father had absolute power to rule. Under Roman law, the pater familias was the oldest living male in a household and exercised autocratic authority over his extended family. But neither Israel in the Old Testament nor the church in the New Testament were patriarchies by this definition. Leadership assigned to men in these cultures never meant giving them total moral or legal power to harm anyone. No Israelite or Christian wife or child was under the naked individual capricious rule of an all-powerful father. Both Israelite citizens and church members were under the rule of law held accountable in the Old Testament to God's moral law by the elders of the city. In the church, husbands and fathers are accountable to Christ, the head of the church, whose authority is exercised through the rule of church elders. The often repeated accusation that the Bible teaches oppressive patriarchy is based on ignorance, honestly. Both ignorance about what the term patriarchy really means and, frankly, ignorance about biblical culture. 
though based on complete nonsense, blaming toxic masculinity on biblical patriarchy has had an impact, a harmful one. It drives non-believers away from Christianity, a religion they conclude oppresses women, and such attacks also weaken Christian husbands' resolve to lead their homes and their wives' resolves to submit to their own husbands as to the Lord. We need to stand against this false accusation. The second way some in our culture seek to stop toxic manhood is by suppressing discussion about gender differences. That is by labeling any mention of gender differences sexist. Radical feminists believe that gender is a social construct imposed on culture by mostly white men to oppress women. Getting rid of gender differences and stereotypes will therefore end the practice of oppressing women. Anything that reinforces gender differences would lead to unjust abuse of women. In their book, The Grand Design, Male and Female, He Made Them, authors Owen Strachan and Gavin Peacock describe our culture's deconstruction of God's design of humans as male or female. They write, Many people today believe secularism. They pursue androgyny. As a result, boys want to be girls today and girls want to be boys. Many men embrace the traits and attitudes traditionally associated with womanhood. Many women do the same with manhood. Both sides avoid at all costs hard and fast stereotypes. The ultimate transgression today is to fit into past concepts of the sexes. Men have grown increasingly passive, effeminate, and unsure of themselves. Women have become increasingly manly and aggressive. These are hard words today, but they sum up the drift of a secularizing world. When it comes to understanding gender, Christians have something far, far better to offer our children and culture than the blurring of gender differences. It is an integrated view of body and soul that sees God's design of male and female to be glorious. Differences between male and female are not arbitrary or accidental, but intentional. God created them. They are designed to be different so they can complete one another. The identity and roles of male and female in Scripture are not interchangeable. As one scholar observes, sexuality permeates one's individual being to its very depth. It conditions every facet of one's life as a person. As the self is always aware of itself as an I, so this I is always aware of itself as himself or herself. Our self-knowledge is indissolubly bound up, not simply with our human being, but with our sexual being. In other words, seeking to eradicate God's intentional design of male and female to be different with different roles in marriage, the family, the church, and different chromosomes is psychologically very destructive, striking at the core of one's very identity. Unfortunately, a third wrong way to combat toxic masculinity is for Christians to abandon clear biblical teaching about gender because the culture doesn't like it. Those who reject gender roles in marriage, the home and the church, choose our culture's egalitarianism over the Word of God. They rationalize that the clear New Testament teaching about male leadership in the home and church was just Paul not wanting to disrupt the tradition of the Roman family codes. 
as if Paul, who was stoned three times and executed for his faith, would change his teaching to appease Roman society. When Tim Keller was asked why the Gospel Coalition required affirming complementarianism, his argument was, what opponents of complementarianism do to Scripture to reach their conclusions? Here is such an example of abandoning Scripture. It's from Christianity Today, an article entitled Leaving Patriarchy in the Past. This article reviews John Stackhouse's book, Partners in Christ, A Conservative Case for Egalitarianism. And this is what the article says. Stockhouse acknowledges that certain New Testament passages embrace a sweeping complementarian viewpoint. He maintains, however, that once a culture has left its patriarchal origins behind, these passages are no longer meant to be obeyed. This article reeks of arrogance. That is assuming that our current Western egalitarian culture which calls viewing differences in male and female roles sexist, is enlightened more than every other culture that has not, quote-unquote, left patriarchy behind. The fact is that outside of current Western culture, nearly every culture of the world for thousands of years has recognized that men are to be the leaders of their homes. It is our culture, which denies obvious differences between men and women, that is blind to reality. The fourth destructive response to toxic masculinity is our sons being emasculated by a culture that is hostile to testosterone. Here's an excerpt from an article by David French entitled, The Feminization of Everything Fails Our Boys. Our society is unlearning masculinity. It's feminizing every stage of male life, and boys are paying a steep price. Stereotypically male characteristics of aggression, risk-taking, and high-energy work and play are quote-unquote toxic and need to be medicated or educated right out of the home. Adding to the feminist home is the feminized school, complete with its zero tolerance, mortal fear of anything remotely martial, and its relentless emphasis on compassion and nurturing rather than exploration and adventure. We love the earth. We don't conquer it. Elementary school is a place of hugs, not conflict. And play is to be peaceful above all else. No more reenacting the Battle of the Bulge. No more toy guns. No more drawings of tanks mowing down stick figure Nazi hordes. And when nature asserts itself against the ideologue's wishes, medication and education take their toll. In place of teaching men to channel their aggression and adventurous spirits in productive ways, we ask them to stifle their truest nature. In place of teaching them to protect others, we lie and declare all violence to be bad. Instead of telling the truth that men and women are different, we try to transform men into women. Those who are following the above four ways of combating toxic masculinity are not our enemies. Praise God, they know toxic masculinity misses the mark. Written on their hearts is the law of God and a sense of how things ought to be. In fact, I think it's quite likely that even in the hearts of ardent feminists, there's still quite often a little girl wanting to be a beautiful princess harboring a silent question in her heart, am I lovely enough for anyone to pursue me? 
Will a prince ever delight in me? Will anyone want me? Will anyone fight for me? In her dream, there is a prince who overcomes whatever obstacles he must battle to prove his love for her. Through his strength and valor, he wins her heart. On horseback, they ride off to their new life together, living happily ever after. John Eldridge observes, fairy tales, literature, music, and movies all borrow from this mythic theme. Sleeping Beauty, Cinderella, Helen of Troy, Romeo and Juliet, Antony and Cleopatra, Arthur and Guinevere, Tristan and Isolode. From ancient fables to the latest blockbuster, the theme of a strong man coming to rescue a beautiful woman is universal to human nature. It is written on our hearts, one of the core desires of every man in every woman. Those from other cultures have different names for their romantic tales. I believe these stories of romance point to the story of romance, written on every human heart in shadows because it is the gospel story. We are the future bride of Christ seeking to make ourselves beautiful while we await his arrival. See Revelation 19.8. Jesus is the bridegroom who overpowers Satan's sin and death to rescue us, draws us to himself with the cords of love, and brings us with him into the adventure of being kings and queens who rule over the kingdom he has renewed. Our lost culture knows toxic masculinity isn't the way manhood is supposed to be. Many are mistakenly attacking the second of these two words, masculinity. But what they need to see is that in Christ, men have the resources to attack the first word, toxic. They need to see godly manhood. The answer to toxic masculinity is you and me. We need to show the world godly manhood that seeks to satisfy our masculine heart desires righteously. We've been studying that portrait, episodes 40 through 46, in this series, God's design of the heart passions that drive men and how to satisfy them righteously. As we close this series, let's review. Men's hearts are designed to need first a king to honor. Men are designed with an enormous capacity for loyalty to a commander in chief we want to please. But as James points out, that requires battling the desire for the approval of other humans. We looked at four ways to intensify our desire to please God and reduce our desire to be people pleasers. First, understand that being liked by everyone is not a panacea, but a trap. Proverbs twenty nine twenty five says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Second, expect to not fit into the world. Jesus said, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Third, realize what a privilege it is to give God pleasure. That is the definition of pleasing God. Out of gratefulness and love for him, we can give him this gift. Fourth, Jesus is worthy of our supreme allegiance. There is no more decorated warrior, no more compelling commander, no more loving master, no more inspiring example, no more deserving king than Jesus Christ our Lord.
Second, our hearts are designed to need a sphere of earth to subdue. Most men dream of greatness, of having a major impact on the world. Such dreams should not surprise us since men were created for impact. That is why God placed Adam in the Garden of Eden, to transform it, to enable it to reach its full potential, to cause the world and culture to flourish. God wants us to impact our worlds by setting a standard of excellence in our work, cultivating our wife's spiritual growth, planting some vital nutrients into our children's hearts, and strategically preparing the soil of our non-Christian friends to receive the gospel, just to give a few examples. But the key to actually having impact is staying focused. The third need of the masculine heart is a battle to fight. God designed Adam to be the protector warrior of the garden. We are called by God to protect those around us, especially our families, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Understandably, most Christian men struggle to understand what it means to be a spiritual warrior. So here's a review of some of Satan's tactics. One, destroy the faith of Christians by getting us to doubt God's goodness. Two, accuse us of sin even when it has been confessed and forgiven. Three, entice us by making sin seem attractive. Fourth, erect strongholds, that is, opinions in our minds that are completely false. Fifth, deny the severity of sin's cost. You will not surely die. Sixth, dissipate your time and energy so you don't have enough left to fight him. The fourth need of the masculine heart is a beauty to love. In Genesis 2, 18 through 25, the story of Eve's creation, we saw five practical ways to help our current or future marriage thrive. First, Adam is inadequate by himself. He needs Eve to complete him, which means respecting our wives' opinions and telling them we need them. Second, the process of observing and naming the animals seems designed to cause Adam to appreciate Eve. Wives need continual words of appreciation. Third, loving our wives as our own bodies means paying close attention to them. Fourth, in a fallen world, leading our home is hard, but we can't surrender to the cowardly impulse to relinquish our responsibility as the head of our homes. Fifth, loving our wives well means generating conversations to help her safely share her heart with us and taking the risk of revealing our hearts to her. The fifth need of a masculine heart is for a brother to work and fight beside. The pleasure men find in camaraderie, especially in a tough fight, as well as the example of Jesus' male friendships, show that men need a brother to labor and fight beside. God never intended Christian men to fight their spiritual battles alone, yet the majority are. In today's world, the stakes are too high, the battle too fierce, the enemy too wily, the attacks too frequent, the cost of defeat too severe for any Christian man to be fighting his spiritual battles alone. The sixth need of the masculine heart is for a heritage to pass on. 
Abraham's covenant responsibility as the head of his home was to build his heritage into succeeding generations. God said about Abraham, I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Old Testament history reveals that the fathers rarely obeyed this fatherhood calling. The good news, however, is that the Messiah came because God's covenant people could not keep their covenant responsibilities in their own strength. Jesus has come to turn the hearts of fathers to impact their children and turn the hearts of the children to embrace their spiritual heritage. Jesus can empower us to recover this vital responsibility in God's kingdom of building a godly legacy. To summarize this episode, toxic masculinity is a horribly deformed expression of masculinity that is the opposite of the self-sacrificing biblical manhood required of Christian men. Sadly, those wounded by this abuse are responding by attacking God's design for masculinity instead of attacking the corruption of that design by human sin. Never has there been a greater opportunity or need for Christian men to show the world a picture of manhood the way God designed it to be lived. This pursuit of godly masculinity begins with aligning what our heart loves with God's design of manhood. It means setting our affections through Christ on pursuing a king to honor, a sphere of earth to subdue, a battle to fight, a beauty to love, a brother to labor and fight beside, and a heritage to pass on for God's glory. For further prayerful thought, number one, which of these six pursuits is the easiest for you to ignore? Number two, in reviewing some of the practical applications for these pursuits, which practical applications do you most want to remember? This week's resource highlight is episode number 33, responding to the argument that the Bible teaches patriarchy, June 21st, 2020, which helps you equip your loved ones to see five fallacies in the accusation that the Bible teaches patriarchy. Next week, we begin a new series entitled Surrounding Our Loved Ones with the Belt of Truth. Since Adam was placed in the garden to be the warrior protector of its inhabitants, this series is designed to equip you to help your loved ones develop a biblical worldview of key topics shaping our culture. If this podcast has been helpful to you, don't forget to tell other Christian men about a podcast that helps them stay focused on their mission from Christ by inspiring them each week while they commute or work out.